Howdy, folks. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, before we jump into today's episode, I think I need to give pretty much all of the credit for today's episode to my lovely wife, Katie, because Katie came up with today's uh, episode topic, and she also did a lot of the homework, the study, the research, and uh, the reading that she's going to be sharing from today. And Basically, I, Elisha's saying he washes his hands in no, this episode. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> At all. Uh, what I'm saying is, I, I mean, I think I stand, I always stand by, not always, I usually always stand by, I usually always stand by everything that you say. And so I'm preemptively saying that because I don't know what you're going to say yet. Um, but since I don't know what you're going to say, let's just jump into today's episode right now. The now that we're a family okay, folks. Before we jump in today to today's episode, I wanted to read some uh, a, a review or two that I saw on iTunes because you folks have been so gracious and generous with your time to go over to iTunes and leave us ratings and reviews, and we don't always get the opportunity to, opportunity to acknowledge how much they mean to us and how grateful we are for them. But I wanted to do that just with a couple that I saw that were pretty recent here. Um, this one is from IL453. It says, thank you, Elisha and Katie, for your wonderful energy, insight, insight and Christian values that we really need in the world right now. It is always such a pleasure listening to both of you. Well, wow. That's like really encouraging. That I tell is. you what, Katie and I like literally th we, that we feed on that stuff very much. So, um, here's just another one too, that I'll read real quick. Thank you all for the examples that you set forth for new Christian families to change their family history for future generations. That's, oh, inspirational that's awesome. Too. Yes, that inspires so us. Yeah, it does. It really, really does. Cause we never, we always want to be in a stage of growing and you're, you're not, if you're going growing forward, you're going backwards. And we just always want to be growing forwards from wherever our parents set us up to yes. be. So. Amen. Yeah. And it's crazy because like you said, there is no like neutral or I mean, I yeah, you, you like you said, Katie, babe, like so much of this world is against us. We're as Christians, we are countercultural. We're living contrary to the values of this world. And so if you're not proactively growing and learning, you really do get swept downstream and down current. Um, yeah, exactly. So I'm just grateful that you said that. <laughs> that's all I had to say. Oh, that's good. That, those were all the ratings and reviews. You guys, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. And we don't read all of them uh, here on the podcast out loud, but we just want to let you know that we do read them. They yes. do mean a lot to us. And we really appreciate the time that you guys take to write those because that is no small feat. I listen to so many podcasts and even though I know as a podcaster, how beneficial it is to leave a rating and review on the podcast that you love. It's so rare that I actually take the time to do it. Hmm. So I really admire you guys. Yeah, actually, I will say one more thing uh -huh. and it, another thank you. Thank you to all you that are engaging on the YouTube channel. I, I'm so grateful when you go over there and you leave comments and we do our best to hop on there and re respond to the comments. And I really enjoy that, that aspect of this podcast that we haven't had for a long time. Um, so having that video portion on YouTube and having whoever you are go over there and engage is really, really means a lot to Katie and I. So thank you for yeah, doing it's that. It's fun to hear from you guys because otherwise it's a one-sided conversation. So hearing from you on Instagram and DMs or you sharing the episodes in your stories uh, with the people in your world that resonated with you and just getting those out there to more people or, you know, commenting on YouTube, all those are ways that we get to hear from you guys. And uh, it just makes us feel more connected. So thanks for doing that. So today we're talking about why we don't read marriage books or do devotionals together. And this was kind of spawned by uh, a marriage book that I read this week that encouraged a lot of dialogue between us. And I guess it, it, every time I read a marriage book or Elisha reads a book, it tells me what he's learning. I always remember the times when people have asked us, well, what devotionals do you guys do? Or what books would you suggest we read through together as a couple? And I never really know what to tell you because we do not do that. That's not something that we do in our mm -hmm. marriage. That's not to say we won't do it in the future, but we haven't done it up until this point. Yeah, we really value 
marriage resources. Like we've said it before and I'll say it again. We've been making a point since our first year in marriage to go to a marriage conference or workshop or retreat at least once a year. And I think we've hit that pretty consistently. Yeah, I think we missed one year. Yeah, And I think the year that we missed, this is actually funny, kind of to your point, is the year that we missed going to a conference, we bought an on, we bought like a uh, an online workshop. Oh yeah, that's right. We told you guys about that, and we didn't touch it. I well, we went through like half of the first. Do we still own that? Actually, yeah, we, we should did. Probably we went through, through the that. first chunk of it, and it was probably. I'm sure it's really good, but I think it kind of speaks to what you're saying. In uh, we just haven't really worked through devotionals together, through marriage workbooks. Uh, we haven't worked through those together but we do really value marriage resources. It's just that we usually do them in our own time and then we'll come and share with the other person what we're learning. Um, and so they are extremely beneficial to our marriage, yeah. uh, but I don't think we work through them. Like you said, side by side. No, we don't like sit in our cozy chairs with like our mugs of coffee or something because I don't drink coffee. So mm-hmm. that just wouldn't work. Okay. So, I know you guys are going to ask, okay, what's the marriage book you read? And it's Reforming Marriage. And I would highly recommend this book. I think it's just a fantastic, fantastic book. It's kind of funny. I went through this book in a book study last summer with a bunch of women. And then I was talking with a friend this year and she was saying how she didn't love the book. And I was like, I need to go dig that back out and read it and see if I still like it. And so I read it and I was just like, this is awesome. Like, I don't know how anyone could not like this, but you know, things hit differently depending on how your, your marriage, your upbringing, your experience, you know, this is the first marriage book I've read by a man. Um, usually I read like women to women type marriage books or w- wives to wives. And so I think it was just different and I, I kind of liked it, but I can also see that being harder for some women to maybe take because it's a man's opinion. And um, Douglas Wilson is kind of known for being uh, inflammatory. Yeah, I maybe think he a, likes conflict. Maybe a provocateur. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe that's an extreme word, but he can become he can be he can seem antagonistic to. I con- think he gets a kick out of when views. you get. When you start sweating, for sure. Yes, I think he does enjoy seeing people yeah. get swirmy. So uh, I do need. So this is this is actually a good thing. We wanted we wanted to start off with this is how we read books and what books we decide to read because there's so many different books out there. Mm. This book's titled Reforming Marriage. Um, I think it's a phenomenal book for anyone who in all walks of the Christian faith, regardless of you know what boxes you check. Um, if you're a Christian, I think it's just a great book and. How do we choose to read an author or listen to an author? Yeah. I mean, I think that based off of our personalities and our upbringing, I think we both gravitate towards uh, maybe extreme viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Um, and partially because I think we just feel like there's such a an abundance of voices in the middle. And, and so I think you and I will both read the extremes, whether we stand by them and agree with them or not. I think we just have an appetite for polarizing people and polarizing books. Um, and maybe that's what's, I don't want that to desensitize us. Does that make sense? But I also do think it's given us a little bit of a thick skin, so to speak, so that even when it is, um, attacking viewpoints of ours or antagonizing, maybe, uh, some of our viewpoints, we're able to set that aside and try to mine whatever wisdom or insights there still can be in the book. Would you say? Yeah, I think that's interesting. You brought that up. Uh, we do read a lot of polarizing Christian authors. And I think the reason for this is one, we're both very grounded in our faith, in our belief system. We aren't new baby believers that are confused maybe about certain basic principles in the word. There's always Every time we read a book, we want to take it back to scripture. We want to look up the verses in the book and be like, okay, it was this taken out of context, like get the whole picture because it's really easy to cherry pick verses and plop them in there. And it's like, that was not what was the intent, the author's intent Mm -hmm. at all. When you read the verse in context. Uh, So I think that's always helpful at any stage of our Christian walk. But I think we're, we're pretty grounded in what we believe. And so we aren't really swept along when we read kind of more extreme viewpoints, I would say. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to ever be flippant. Like I said, I don't want to be flippant and just think that 
what we read doesn't have an effect on our worldview because clearly it does. it does all the information that we consume certainly does. And so I don't think we blindly go in to reading books, um, and with this confidence of like, oh, well, you know, we've got the Holy Spirit in us and we've got perfect discernment. No, no, no. Uh, I still think that as Christians with having the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we still are able to be deceived. Like while we're here on earth and people are still deceived, you know, as Christians. Um, and so I don't want to, you know, blindly just start grabbing anything off of the shelf or ordering anything from total characters within the, you know, the Christian space um, or, or the non-Christian space um, and start going to town on it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's your time. So how do you want to spend it? Yes. <laughs> Read it crazy. Uh, but I do think the first thing we look for is, okay, do they share a belief system, our faith in Christ? If they don't, then we're going into that. There's a huge, we're, we're on totally different foundations. So if we're, re if we're hearing about marriage advice from someone who's a non-believer, uh, then there might be some great practical takeaways as far as like, you know, practical, like have a date night, you know, or stuff like that. Sure. But anything that comes down to roles or, um, almost anything we're on a completely different foundation and we have to have our guard way up if we're wading into those waters when it comes to christianity i think the first thing i look for in a couple is do they have the fruit that i want and so a married couple that's been married um for decades and decades then i'm gonna read their book and see why do they still like each other why are they still in love you know i think of that with douglas wilson's book i'm just like okay him and his wife seem to still like each other. They're old. I want to hear what they have to say. Yeah. Even if I don't agree with him on every little detail outside of that, uh, I think that's the number one thing I'm looking for. And if a husband and wife are really tense around each other, or there's a podcast I was listening to, it was a couple's podcast, and they were just like on each other's nerve all the time. And um, they actually sadly ended up getting a divorce. But you saw the red flags all the way leading up to it and yeah. actually stopped listening to the podcast because I was like, Elisha, like they don't have the fruit I want. Like they're saying good things like a psychologist or something might say, mm. but they just don't have a marriage I want. So why am I going to look at their material? You know? Yeah. I think that is like the great, uh, I don't even know. It's not a, it's not, it's not that complex, but it's just, it's a, it's a little bit of a dilemma when you go to listen to anybody and or learn from anybody is you want to be able to take the value in what they're saying and the truth in what they're saying and put that, take that to heart or apply it to your life. Uh, but at the same time, it's hard to get over the fruit in people's lives too. And there does seem well, to be. If you're learning from them, you don't get over it. Why would you learn from someone who has fruit that you don't want in your life? Well, yeah. What I'm saying is it's hard to even take the truth in what they're saying and, and, and accept it, even if it's biblical truth. Um, and so, like you said, you oh, can't yeah. help, but look at their life and look at the fruit and say, okay, do they one really believe this? And if, or two and two, like, does it actually work? Does it produce the fruit? Um, or even be before all of that, you should probably be asking, is this true? Is this, is this in accordance with God's word? Um, and, but it is an interesting thing how I've thought, I've, I've thought this for years. Some of my favorite like authors or, or pastors where they're, work has had such a tremendous impact on my life and it's grown me in my faith. It's like the more I learn about the person, the, le the harder it is for me to take what they're teaching. Mm -hmm. And I think on one hand, that's probably just humanity in general. It's like, we just are so prone to putting people up on a pedestal and being like, wow, look, like they said this thing or they wrote this thing. And without even being aware of it, you think that their life encapsulates like this, this higher level of whatever, you know, of, of living. And, and it doesn't take away from the profundity of what they wrote or said, but like the more you see their humanity, sometimes it's harder to take. Uh, oh, a hundred percent. I mean, some of you guys probably have that with us. Honestly, like when you're just a cardboard cutout and a quote, it's really easy to be like, Oh, that I don't have anything wrong with that. Like, I don't see anything wrong with that. They're, they're great. And then, it's like, oh, yeah, and then that human has all those human hum, human traits that get on your nerve or annoy you or, mm -hmm. or you know, there's just so much flesh and blood <laughs> that we can't see when we just like are seeing the shell of someone. Yeah. You know, so that's just that's just life. But when I was OK, so then I want to talk real quickly, too, because I'm recommending this book about Doug Wilson. Um, <clears throat> if you go and look him up. 
if you aren't familiar with him already, you'll probably find he's pretty inflammatory. Again, uh, I think he's okay with conflict and stuff like that. I think if you go to his page, you will either be like, oh my goodness, like, thank you for saying that. Or like, I cannot believe you said that. Like mm. one or the other. And, and it could like depend on the post, right? And I think that that's something that a lot of authors have that really do incite emotion and drive action. And they're really passionate, right? And so when we read these passionate authors or hear them speak, then there's a large chance that if they're saying something that we like, we're like, yes, like, thank you for saying that. I could never have said that myself. I'm too embarrassed, but you said it. So thanks for taking <laughs> the heat. Like, I agree with you. And we could all probably think of someone like that, whether it's like in politics or, you know, marriage, anything where you're just like, you know, I, I'd be too scared to say, but someone else said it. it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. And then they're just as passionate and they say something that I disagree with because we don't agree on everything. No human agrees with another human on everything mm. that I've met so far. And then they say that thing with just as much passion. And I'm just like, Oh my word. Like, I cannot believe you said that, yeah. you know, and, and I feel the need to disown them off that statement because it was just as passionate as the one that I agreed with that. I was so stoked. They said, <laughs> so I think that this is a really common, uh, thing. We have to know that they're driving emotion. So they're either going to, pr they're probably going to drive a both sides of oh, the yeah. coin, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I think it's just, I think it's healthy as Christians that we're okay with that, that we don't get all worked up and stressed out and freak out that they say one thing strongly and another thing strongly um, with, you know, I, I'm literally like three different ministries are coming to mind right now that people consistently ask us on Instagram, do you, have you read these people? Hmm. And I'm like, yes, but I will not say their name online because some people will freak out hmm. and some people think it's awesome, but it's not worth stressing everybody out hmm. emotionally. Yeah, that is, that is interesting, huh? And, and yeah, I don't know. It's, I, 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 I don't know. Cause clearly there is, um, there is, there should be a standard in what we let ourselves read and learn from. Well, I'm, I'm like, taking this from like a Christian yeah, perspective. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, but it is interesting. At least I, I feel this. It there's a there's a distinct difference between when I kind of agree with something or kind of disagree with something, and then when I've got like a visceral physiological response to something because of how much I take personal offense to it, or lo or love it, or love it. But it's usually like. But 10x when I disagree with it, when I feel it's like, well, I can't believe they said that. And because it's so distinctly different in my own response to it, it really like forces me to address, be like, okay, why? Like, why? Yeah, that's a good why point. Why am I so re reactionary towards this viewpoint or towards this stance? Mm -hmm. um, is it because of a certain friend that I had that said one thing to me 10 years ago, or is it because of a certain pastor that held this view and, and, uh, you know, they, they, whatever, you know, mistreated somebody that I know, like every, like once it's to that visceral emotional response and it becomes personal, it's so, I think it's so important in any, like this is a marriage or this is in our faith to step back and be like, okay, like, like the truth of it, we'll, we'll address that. You know, we need to address the truth of it. But also what, the way I'm responding to it is much different than like whether or not this is true or this is not true. This is like a personal response um, to it. And I just find that so interesting in my own heart what those things are. And a lot of times these types of authors are the people that are able to, I guess, kind of stir those, those, those feelings up in me. And it forces me to be like, okay, what's your deal, man? Like why, why do you have such this such a strong response to this. Yeah. Instead of like saying the author is wrong, being like, okay, well, why am I so triggered by this? <laughs> and I mean, I say all that. I agree with everything in this book. Like I just have to say, Elisha hasn't read it yet. Um, I've read him a lot of quotes from it. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I came across anything that I personally disagree with. But that said, I've been around a lot of these concepts for a long time. Maybe he says it a little differently than how I would say it. Uh, but I think, 
you know, we weren't having a visceral reaction to this book. So I want to no, clarify yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but I can definitely see how some people might, if they aren't very familiar with a biblical worldview and how it actually elevates um, unity, how it elevates the woman, how it elevates the man in the relationship and draws them together towards Christ. I think we're programmed in this world to think it's a win-lose situation. And mm. so if Elisha's winning, then I'm losing. And if I'm winning, he's losing. And I think that that's what the world wants you to believe. And so when we view uh, headship or leadership or biblical, you know, marriage roles through that lens of I win, you lose. What is it? Well, which which one? The negative? Like of, the, of the, the way the world, like the dog eat yeah. dog mindset, yeah. then yeah, it, it stinks. And we think, oh, wow, it stinks to be a woman. Uh, but that's just not at all how how it is. Uh, and I think that's the interesting thing is, is God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher. If we lose our life, we find it. You know, there's all these these like counterintuitive yeah things like, these things that are impossible in man's mindset but in god's value system and his worldview and his perspective when we're walking with him it's a beautiful thing and all of the pieces fit perfectly in the puzzle and so i think that we need to have that mindset going into any conversation that is talking about marriage and might be a little hard hitting or truths that might be hard to accept. And we, when we look at them as, wow, this is a blessing. God gave this, God put these verses in here as a gift. Instead of trying to dismantle them and say, these don't affect my life because they would wreck it. Be like, okay, what am I missing here? Because this stresses me out. Hmm. So, so what is it that I'm not seeing? What is the blessing that I'm not seeing here? You know, when I think of children being a blessing, it's really easy to maybe if we've had a worldly perspective on children to be like, I don't want to hear those verses about kids being, you know, good for your life or being fruitful and multiplying or, you know, whatever <laughs> people like to use for like have kids and enjoy them. Uh, because we're just like, we don't want the kids. They stress me out. Instead of being like, okay, what am I missing here? Because the truth is that we're missing a lot if we do not um, just welcome the children that the Lord has for us into our life. And so anyways, I just think it's mm, it's important. Well, I, I, Katie, and you saying that, I'm just, it's like, I just need to be doing that in my own life regularly. It's like, be, be ye transformed, you know, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing mm -hmm. of your mind. And to, the Bible tells us to set our mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Uh, and like as Christians, as blood-bought Christians, we, we don't, we aren't automatically just like given this perfect way to think now. We still as blood-bought Christians, like have these tendencies that are so in accordance with the, the way of the world and mm -hmm. that are not in accordance to God's reality and into his world. And my whole, so much of my value system is still unfortunately so informed by by the world mm -hmm. and it's like i want that to be so surrendered and submitted and refined by god's word and I, I truly want that transformation that comes from renewing my mind in god's word and believing psalm um psalm 16 i think that in the presence of the lord there's fullness of joy at mm -hmm. his right hand are pleasures forevermore and thinking okay well if there's things that are preventing me from being more and more intimate with god being in his presence more fully, well, I want to get rid of those things because I want the pleasures forever more. You know, and to think of, is it first or second Peter that says you've been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's uh, called you to glory, and, to glory virtue. and virtue. And whenever we think that like we're lacking something, that God's word isn't sufficient or that Christ isn't sufficient or that God's ways aren't sufficient. Like, no, truly like God's this biblical old fashioned perspective on marriage or on children that can't be sufficient. Like we're in the 21st century here. There's got, there's got to be new perspectives on this that could really benefit me and enhance my life. It's like, no, you've been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him. And I, I just am reminded when you saying that the sufficiency of God's word and yet my deficiency to go to it and to truly believe it. And it just takes such a, um, such a purposeful pursuit of going to his word, sitting my bottom down, 
opening it up and reading the verses in there and and truly being like no this is the authority this this is who the boss god is the boss and this is what he's saying to me um mm -hmm. and to have my life shaped by that because it's not at all my natural inclination and you were talking about marriage it's definitely not my natural inclination there and parenting and business and finance and in health and it just in the way i think of politics the way i think of life my default is not, oh, this is like, this is what God wants. You know, it's, it's not that, it's not unfortunately right. Yeah. Oh my to. goodness. I was so challenged just like, you know, by the screw tape letters. You guys know we shared a lot of those quotes on Instagram this week because I read through that right before or right after reforming marriage. It was just like underlining everything, just like convicted, convicted. I did not leave a single page without being convicted on just my mindset and how it's so warped. And I just need to go to God's word to reset, realign my thinking with mm. his because my view as a human is just off. Like he's the only one that can renew my mind. And, mm. um, I need to be going there. And if I'm not in his word for chunks of time, then that warp is just like bent harder and harder. Yes. And I can't trust my view of things at that point. Hmm. You know, I just needs to be surrendered to the Lord and what he wants. And yeah, anyways, I've been convicted in a lot of areas in prayer and church and marriage and child rearing and all those things just by that little book and going, oh man, I'm so this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, yeah, so for real. Um, so anyways, all that being said, I, it's always, it's always wonderful to go to God's word, to pray, to let the Holy Spirit speak. Uh, but we do read all that being said, I don't know if we've ever, I think I've read one book because the title was interesting to me from a, uh, secular author on marriage but the for the most part we've stuck with um just christian authors oh, because marriage yeah, yeah because god created marriage and so without god in the picture there is no marriage like hmm. marriage is between god and two individuals it's not just two individuals like we say now like in a legal sense the marriage covenant always includes god yeah in it you know in a long term yes anyways so yeah like the like the marriage is the not marriage just a man that god and a woman. created it's marriage. it's man and woman and god yes it's yeah. a man and a woman and god joining them together and when god's not there it's just a legal union hmm. it's not it's not this holy supernatural mm -hmm. supernatural thing so anyway so we don't the whole reason why i read the secular book i think is because it was saying 50 50 was a bad model Okay. And I thought it was interesting that a secular person was saying a 50-50 marriage was a bad model. And they were their their solution was each person should be doing 80% in mm. the relationship. Which I thought was such an obscure percentage to measure. That is interesting. Even in you bringing that up, I don't want to derail you from your points here, but you just referenced that 50-50 thing. And, um, and then just once again, reflecting on some of the quotes from the screw tape letters, uh, I feel like so many marriage, at least in our marriage, so many of the so much of the conflict has arisen from really thinking that we do have more ownership than yes. what we have. Like we we don't have any ownership of our lives. Like we are a hundred percent owned by God. There are so many, and that's why I do think uh, words. Of course, words matter, and it's crazy how so much of modern uh, vernacular just creeps into our vocabulary and we start mm -hmm. using these words and kind of accepting them as, as things like autonomy or like take ownership of your life, you know, or take some, take some pride in your work and have ownership or um, I can't think of any other ones, but those are things that like just kind of get grandfathered in almost or accepted into the Christian vernacular. And it's like, wait a second, the Bible, the Bible says my life is not my own. I've been bought at a price, glorify God, therefore, in this in this body that's not yours. And then, so it's like, before you even get to marriage, you've got to be thinking of yourself as a Christian. And it's like, wait a second, my life is not my own. Yeah, do we have feelings? Do we have inclinations? Do we have passions? Of course, we have all those things. And they are surrendered to our master, who is a good father, the loving father. And to think that we've ever been free 
is the foolishness. It's like we are slaves to sin, Romans tells us, and we're now slaves to righteousness and to the righteous king. Amen. And so this whole idea of like, oh, I'm free to choose what's best for me in this marriage. It's like, you've never been free to choose. You're either a slave to sin or, or you're a slave to righteousness, to the perfect king. And so before you even like start addressing marriage, you have to believe that your life's not your own. You've been bought at a price. If you are a Christian, if you are redeemed, um, I mean, just the, that's the whole, that's the whole point, not the whole point, but that that's what happened in that transaction. Like when Christ died on the cross and the blood was shed and that propitiation was, uh, I guess, ex- exercised, um, that blood did pay for something and he does now have ownership of his redeemed children. Uh, and so then you take that mindset into marriage and you're not going in with this like, well, what's mine? Like I've got to maintain my own identity or I need to maintain my own autonomy or I need to take, maintain my own freedom and, and liberties. It's like, well, you didn't have any of those when you came into this marriage, if you're a Christian. Um, and so both of them really need to be surrendered to the Lord in that way. Uh, I'm so glad you brought that up because that was such a challenging viewpoint for me. Again, if we go into this thinking, what, I'm a slave to Christ, like our association with slave is definitely negative. From a human perspective, it's like, what, no one owns me? Who Who's the right to own me, you know? But when you go into it with, and if you haven't read the screw tape letters, read the screw tape letters, they're so good. <laughs> okay, uh, I know a lot of you have, read it again, so good. Um, but that whole concept of like this, you know, this theoretical devil saying it's so funny that the humans think that they own anything when really they don't own anything they don't even own their bodies i think of this when it comes to um even like physical intimacy in marriage like our bodies are not our own they're christ's and uh and and our spouses um or even with our children you know going through that miscarriage like it's been so comforting for me to be like the lord owns my children like my children are not mine mm-hmm. they're his and he's just they aren't Elisha's in mine we're just caretakers of them for stewards, as long as they're of. on this earth they aren't my kids so whenever he decides they're his like they're to go back home with him they're to go back home with him and i just think like just that mindset like when i'm in a very like humanistic mindset. I don't think this way, but it's so clear and so freeing to just think like, it's not my time when the kids are interrupting me in Mm. the middle of nap time and it's quiet time. And it's like, this is my time. Don't mess it up. It's like, no, it's the Lord's time. Mm. So, and he wants this child here right now. How am I going to respond to that child? You know, or this is my house and I don't want people thrashing my house or this is my yard or like, it's all his. And I know we all know that, but it's like, it's, I have act. a different perspective yeah. on it right now Me too. than I do sometimes when I say it because I know it, but not because like my heart understands. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm that way. You said the time thing, like I'm so greedy and with my time these days. Well, yeah, it's just because yeah, we, we've been running around doing every way too many Seems things. Seems like everybody else owns our time right now. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and be like this, just saying like, well, this is my time or I need to like really take some ownership of my time or I need to manage my time better. And, and again, you keep, of course, we need to learn those things because we are stewards. Yeah, yeah. Time management is important. And I think we are stewards of these life we've been given. But being actually, if anything, the word stewardship makes me sit up a lot more sh- straight than ownership when I think of who I'm stewarding it for. It's yeah, like, that's true. Like steward of our kids or of my time or of my life. Because we're answering to someone aside from ourselves. Exactly. Like if I want to leave my hammer out in the rain, I can leave my hammer out in the rain. Yes. You know. Yes, but when it was my gr- growing up, when it was my grandpa's <laughs> hammer that lived next door, I had to answer to him. I was supposed to steward the hammer when I borrowed it. And when I didn't do that very well, I had to answer to gran- grandpa. Um, and so I do think that getting away from an ownership mindset and, and embracing the stewardship mindset in regards to children or in regards to our lives or our health or our marriage. Uh, if anything, it should make us take it all the more, take it so much more seriously, you know, cause we're like, wait, we, we have to answer to somebody for this. Yeah, we do. Not just somebody, God. Yeah. <laughs> like, God, a perfect, a perfect someone. So anyways, even as we're talking about this, the screw tape letters or whatever, Elisha read them. I don't know how many years ago. I tell you what, it felt like I never read it because it must have been like 18 or 19 or something. Cause reading it again last week 
felt like the first time I was like, this is, it was so enjoyable. <laughs> it was, and it was so, so good. good. Yeah. So we both read that through. I read it through for the first time last week. And again, I was underlining like crazy. I was like, this is so good. And then Elisha picked it up. He read it. Uh, but we had hours of conversation before Elisha ever read it hmm. again, just based off me being like, okay, read, you've got to listen to this quote. You've got to <laughs> listen to this quote. And so I think that's something that I hope is encouraging in your marriage is you don't have to both read something. Say one of you is in a reader. You don't have to both read it for those thoughts and ideas and encouragement to just bring fresh wind and fresh encouragement into your marriage, hmm. especially if you're not bitter that your <laughs> spouse isn't reading yeah. the book. And I think that this is something that I've been grateful to have early on. My dad was a big marriage book reader and we just had tons of them all over the house. And my mom started picking them up later. And so I always thought guys just love to read marriage books. That was like <laughs> literally my perspective. And I remember my grandma saying, I don't think my grandpa's ever read a marriage book, but my grandma's reading them on a consistent basis. Mm. And that just really encouraged me that, oh, like, it doesn't, marriage books don't have to be read by the other person for them to dramatically like bring new conversation in, encouragement, mm. all those things. And um, one, we could just silently read the book. And if we're working on our aspect of the marriage before God, it's going to bless our spouse and it's going to stir up uh, change in them or motivation in them when they see our actions. I don't know what that verse is, but it's like, you can win your husband without a word. Yeah. The, like the, the, um, silent conduct or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Everyone but, yeah. brings it up. I, I need no. to look up where it is, but anyways, I think that's particularly hard for women because we think that by our words, we will win our husbands. <laughs> uh, but then also I think, uh, like even this book, like I just, corner Elisha and just start reading him close for a minute. <laughs> and then we just talk about him. Like we've talked about him in bed or we talk like, what do you think about this? Mm. Do you, do you think this is actually the case or is this guy crazy? Yeah. Or like, um, I think this, and then Elisha's just like, okay, I do not think that at all. Or yeah. we can both relate on how good something is. And so, um, I think it's great to ask questions and share opinions and share parts and disagree with parts and reading a good book or coming in contact with new fresh ideas with a new, or maybe just old ideas with a new perspective on it can drastically benefit and bless your marriage. And you don't have to do it together at all. Yeah. And I would say that something that's extremely helpful in our marriage, Katie, is that you don't just do this with marriage books. Uh, in fact, I don't think it would be nearly as effective if you only did this with marriage books. Oh, but meaning like bring them to you bring and them like to me. Yeah, because <laughs> I think that you, you are just a learner and a grower. And when you're not reading a marriage book, you're reading something else or you're listening to something else. And, um, and you love bringing insights to me. And so I'm not always like, I think it'd be easy if I wasn't in the mood just to be on guard, be like, okay, oh, here yeah, comes like another marriage tidbit or here. Like comes I'm not trying to change, you know, I'm not trying yeah. to change you. I'm genuinely because just like, this is so cool. If or you're like, reading, yeah. Like you're, you're any, you're reading fiction and you're like, oh, you've got to read, you know, you've got to listen to this and you'll come read me a quote from you know, whatever the Tolstoy book that you're reading. And you're like, yeah, you like, listen to this. This is so well-written or like, isn't this so true? This is, such this a, is crazy. This is crazy. And you'll read it to me like, oh, we talk about that. And it's the same thing if you're reading a business book or, of course, the screw tape letters or something about theology. You'll come to me and you'll be like, oh, the listen advocate. to this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> something about homeschooling. Thousand hours outside. Yeah, exactly. That's what. That's the other book you were reading last week. And so you've really – and we've really created just this back and forth dialogue regarding whatever we're learning and, and reading. And so I think it makes both of us a lot more just – receptive to the other person bringing like this marriage insight and I'm not having our guards that. up. I'm glad you said that because I, I, that is true. The, the heart that you're bringing something definitely matters. Like if you're not in a place, if I'm not, if I feel like Elisha needs to hear this when I'm reading it, then that is a sign to me that I need to take action on my own life. Because that's what's going to affect the change in our marriage. I can never, ever read him something that I think like, you need to hear this, honey. 
let me read you this passage. Like that's going to make him defensive and bitter and look at the ways I'm feeling as a wife probably and want to poke holes in that. You don't do that. But I think that that would be a common response. Like if you came to me, like you've never come to me and been like, Katie, women need to be better (laughs) at cooking and you stink. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> that would not be good. There's something in here. What is it? Hold on. I'm going to try to find this. Co- oh, like, okay. Say Elisha reads me this passage. The instruction is that the younger women are to be homemakers. This is based off Titus 2, 3 through 5. Involved in domestic pursuits. And I underline this part. Not only are they to be at home, they are to be productive at home. Industry in the home means hard work and cleaning, cooking, child rearing, and so forth. It is possible to disobey God through neglect of the dishes. I mean, if Elisha told me that, I'm not going to be motivated to do the dishes for like a week. It's like they're going to rot to your own dishes. Now, is that a godly answer? No, that's not a good response. But it would be the one I'd want to have. Yeah. when yeah, that's probably a pretty common response. Yeah. <laughs> So it's the same way when we go to our husbands with something. Okay, I do. I did underline this quote. It's right down below, and I wanted to say this. Uh, tempted to treat being tired. Oh, many wives are tempted to treat being tired as though it were a symptom of having done something wrong. Rather, it is a symptom of having done many things right. And yeah. I think that's something that I have encouraged myself with the past, you know, since I've read this <laughs> and I'm tired. I'm just like, no, being tired doesn't mean I'm doing things wrong. It can be a symptom of having done many little things mm-hmm. right. It means I'm just working heartily and um, hopefully unto the Lord. So anyways, that's also, if you're like, if you work outside of the home, don't worry. This is for you. If a woman is competent, I feel like I have to. Okay. If a woman is competent and she should be in due time, her industry will take her outside of the home. The Bible does not teach that a woman's place is in the home. It requires that the home be her priority, but she's not at all limited to the home. I just wanted to say that in there because, you know, I didn't want you guys to just wanted to throw a bone out there. (laughs) I don't want you to like ride off the book before you read it. Okay. (laughs) Okay. There was something that was really good in here real quick about, um, Oh, this is good. This is just for women that I underlined for me. When a woman is lovely in her spirit, that loveliness cannot be contained. It enchants her husband. Isn't that sweet? Oh, that's so true of you. Well, I don't know. Not sometimes. <laughs> no. Sometimes I'm enchanting. I'm telling you what. I'm telling you what. <laughs> your loveliness cannot be contained. The enchantment just oozes from your whole being. Wow. Thank you. I don't know what I think about oozing anywhere, but okay. I appreciate that adjective just doesn't bring good vibes. Okay. I think this is interesting. Okay. I did read, read this to Elisha, but again, it wasn't from like, oh, I think you should do this. I think he does a great job of this. This is about being a husband, right? And husbandry, this is an underlined statement from the book. Husbandry is careful management of resources. It is stewardship. And it's talking about how the wife is like this garden that the husband needs to steward. Mm. And that's his job is to make sure that she's lovely and growing and beautiful and vibrant. But it says right here, often husbands are unsure of the right to be there in the garden. And pulling up weeds means that they have assumed responsibility for the state of the garden. And he had better not do that. And it's just this perspective <laughs> of how husbands sometimes, if they realize their wife is frustrated or on edge, or they don't want to take responsibility for their wives and, in their emotional state. And so they don't want to go in and do the dirty work of being like helping their wives and being like pointing out things that they need I to just, grow in together. I just think of that, like with leadership in general in the home, yeah. it's like, if I, if I st- it's yeah you're taking ownership like you pull one weed you know to use his example there it's like then you're like taking ownership of everything like and this or, this mess yeah, like my wife is in is my problem because i chose to take some responsibility for it yes anyways i thought that was really good this this is actually a really awesome chunk on how the husband i is responsible for everything so he's responsible for the wife and her attitude and her issues and her her sins and everything it's very interesting you have to read it because i can't quite explain it obviously me as a wife 
I am directly responsible to the Lord. But God gave Elisha to me to protect me and provide for me and steward me. Yeah, I need to tend to my it's garden. It's a little garden over yeah. here. And so it's an interesting perspective on the Lord holding the husband responsible. And it's saying how even when the husband isn't taking a lead, he is still leading. He's just doing it really bad. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting. Anyway, you guys have to read it. I'm serious. This whole chunk on the whole, I wish I had the underlying chunks on the husband being the head and hold on just a second. Oh, like this is good. Talking about children. Okay. This is an example. Okay. If that sounded crazy. Um, so say children are not responding to their mother well when it comes to discipline or they aren't respecting their mom. It's saying there's a deficiency in his discipline. Her problem was his problem. The husband has a responsibility to make sure that whenever the children even think about talking back to their mother, they see their father's shadow looming behind her. Her weakness must be acknowledged as his so that his strength may become her strength. Isn't that sweet? Wow. I feel like you do that with me for the kids. I, that was funny, that one quote that you read about the husband that thinks he's adopting the, the Christian view of the family. <laughs> Should I read that? That was good. I think it's so true. I unbent that page because I thought it was inappropriate. Oh, okay, well, okay hold on, hold on, hold on. No, let me find it. Okay. And this is like a little little book club session. A I little love it. book club. Join us with our book club. Okay, hold on. Guys, this is this is an example of maybe why some people don't enjoy this book, but I think it's hilarious. Some husbands, okay, it's talking about real quick how children are a blessing and all that. But it says some husbands think that they have a commitment to the biblical view of family just because they are male opinionated and dislike condoms. <laughs> and the wife yeah. and I both thought that was really <laughs> funny. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> too true. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I feel like we all know people like that. Or have, or have been somebody like that. I don't know. Yeah. Is that is that who you are? No. That's I mean, not what I feel you are. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, hold on one more. Oh, okay. All right. So I found this whole chunk on a husband's leadership that I thought was really interesting. Um, husbands, okay, I'm reading the book. Husbands are commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church, but nowhere is the husband commanded to be a head to his wife. This is because he already is the head of his wife by the very nature of marriage. If he does not love her, he is a poor head, but a head nonetheless. Because the husband is the head of the wife, he finds himself in a position of inescapable leadership. He cannot successfully refuse to lead. If he attempts to abdicate in some way, he may through his rebellion lead poorly, but no matter what he does or where he goes, he does so as the head of a wife. Hmm. Is this okay? This is interesting too. If a husband tries to run away from his headship, that abdication will dominate the home. If he catches a place to a plane to the other side of the country and stays there, he will dominate in and by his absence. Mm -hmm. Anyways, it's just really an interesting way to look at headship that I hadn't I hadn't thought of before. Yeah. And I was reading all these things to Elisha, but he knows he's a you know what? phenomenal head. So no. he well, wasn't like, oh my goodness, like. I don't know. I don't know that, but I do love that. I think there are so many biblical truths that we somehow adopt as being something that we're supposed to go achieve or attain yes. when God says it already is. And him pointing that out, it's like, no, you're not commanded to the men. You're not commanded to be the head of, of the wife. You are like, it just says you are. And or there will be a lot of debate in Christian circles. Like now in the 21st century is a man ahead of a woman or, you know, cause we all are equal and yeah, duh, we're all equal. But that saying somehow that the man is the head of the wife seems to suggest that to some women that we wouldn't be equal or something like that. Hmm. Like we need to both be heads, but it's like, it's not even a debate. It is. So it's either done poorly or it's done well. Which one do you want to do it? Yeah. Like I like when people put things that way because it can simplify a lot of the disagreements about stuff. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's not even a discussion. It is. So, even if you say it's not, it is the case. And your family's going to feel the effects of that because God is the master architect. He designed everything. So, we feel the effects of our actions, whether or not we think 
it's a thing or not. Like we can't say headship doesn't exist or we can't say that um, marriage rules don't exist anymore because they do because God created them. So they will always exist mm-hmm. infinitely through time. It's just, are we going to choose to learn? Like exercise and, them according to his word. And yeah, yeah. Or are we just going to fight them our entire lives yeah. and end up bitter and be like, <laughs> nothing went the way I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope not. I don't want to end up that which way. Which one, Elisha? <laughs> which one? <laughs> uh, Anyways, so yeah, that was a mixed bag. I tell was. you what, we yeah. talked about a lot of random stuff. Yeah, I mean, we should probably wrap this thing up because the battery lights are coming on down here. The battery warning. Well, um, yeah, it's coming on in my brain too. I'm, I'm tired. No, Katie, thanks for doing all the heavy lifting here. <laughs> the, I still feel like you're trying to pass off this whole thing I'm on not, me. I'm not. I'm not. Are you kidding me? I can't. I'm the head. We just, I can't, even if I abdicate, it's still, I'm still exercising my headship just poorly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, well, we've got takeaways over here from this episode, yeah. but we hope you guys were encouraged again, whether you read the book or don't read the book. Uh, there's lots of great marriage books out there. There's also a lot of bad marriage books out there. And the cool thing is, is the Bible is the ultimate marriage book. Yeah. And as long as we're reading that, and are praying and have an open heart towards what the Lord's going to show us through that, we are going to grow in our marriages. And so praise the Lord for that. Absolutely. And like Katie said earlier, even though we don't read books together, we learn together through the same book, through the other person, bringing quotes and takeaways and nuggets. And whether you're doing that in a marriage book or a non-marriage book, I do think it is growing to your marriage. Um, And so it can be a book that maybe that's where you should start is finding a book that is a lot easier to relate to with your spouse and a lot, they're going to be a lot more receptive or open to you bringing quotes to them and uh, kind of starting that, that dialogue and that type of shared growth um, in that context and going from there. Yeah. Because it's just, it's such a cool thing to be able to bring new information into your marriage and have new conversations. And I think this is one way that you keep your marriage feeling or that we've kept our marriage feeling alive and fruitful is like we go on a date night and there'll be some date nights where it feels kind of like, okay, we like, we've talked about everything, you know, sure. but most of the time it's like, Oh, I can't wait to tell you this new thing that I've learned this yes. week or this conversation I had. And I think it's important that we're always growing. It's interesting because a couple that I, again, going back to that couple that actually ended up getting divorced, but I did listen to for a period of time on their marriage podcast, um, talked about how, <clears throat> One of them was growing and the other person wasn't, and that was creating a riff in their marriage. But I think if we're spouses that want a a marriage that's growing and thriving, if we're growing, that means we're like bringing fresh growth into the marriage, mm. you know? And it's yeah. not just an individual thing where it's like, I'm growing, you're not. We can grow. If one of us is really like driving hard at the growth, we can bring that growth and and grow the whole marriage yes absolutely well folks thank you again for listening and we look forward to talking to you next week okay